All right. So while the stampede is leaving, I'll tell you, there's uh, notes there in the back uh, for the sermon. These are my sermon notes. If you want to follow along, you can. If you don't, that's also fine. Um, It's up to you that they're there to help you if you like that sort of thing. Uh, Notes are not fun for me. Um, I just get distracted by the notes when I'm Somebody else is talking, but I know that some of you actually collect them, which is funny. Uh, but I say that they're my notes because if there's typos, you're not allowed to get mad at me. It's my, my excuse for having typos because they're just for me. You're just reading my notes, all right? And I don't mind the typos, all right? There's one in the first sentence, so it is what it is, all right? So we've, uh, we've been, we started the book of Romans a few weeks ago. And in chapter 1 of Romans, he opens up with what for us in 2023 is a can of worms regarding sexuality. And he explains a, a worldview, a, a story. He tells a story about what's, what's happened in the world, what's wrong with the world, and he's going to get to a diagnosis for that brokenness later throughout the book. But what I wanted to do is pause for a couple of weeks and discuss this idea of um, gender and sexuality that he brings up. And last week I looked at just trying to, to build out a compelling vision for the human body. That God, this is not just a bag of bones, as they say. It's not just your earth suit that you walk around in and use up however you please and then it's discarded at the end of your life and that's that, you'll never see it again. No, in fact, the Bible is very clear that it is an essential part of you. Your identity is not separate from your physical body. You're going to have a face in heaven, a body in heaven, and it's going to be the one you got right now. Now, I believe it's in a, in a glorified, perfected form, thank God, right? I'm praying, I'm hoping um, that... The, the damage I've done will not be permanent, right? <laughs> However, we, we cannot think of and conceive of ourselves when we think about who am I as a person? What am I? It needs to include our body, okay? And our body is sacred, it's important to our identity, and it's meant for worship, and it's by God's design, okay? So we talked about that last week. And in some ways, that kind of Whatever debate there is about what the Bible says about these issues, in my opinion, that basically settles it. But we need to go further because the Bible says more, and that's what we're looking at this morning. I'm going to focus more on gender and sexuality this morning. What is God's design? Because I believe even if your desires in these categories go in a wrong direction, that the gospel is still good news for you. That's my contention. And that's what I want to show you, all right? So I'm not going to do a lot of battling with ideologies. I want to speak to people who struggle in this area and give you some hope. That's my desire, because I think that's how Jesus would talk about this, okay? Um, that means I'm going to leave a lot of questions unanswered, so I want to, I've made a way for you to ask questions. And I haven't gotten a lot of questions yet. I've gotten a couple, but depending on how many I get, will determine how I answer them. But if you go to our Church Center app, at the top of that home screen, there's a button, and you can ask a question there, and I will get your question, and I will handle them how, depending on what makes sense, what's practical, right? 
So as we're going along, if you've got questions, I just, I'm not going to address every possible question. And there are a, there's a lot I'm leaving on the ground untouched, okay? And I know that, um, and I wanted to make a way for you to ask, all right? So that's that. All right, so let's get into Genesis chapter 2. In order to understand how God made us to function together as men and women, we need to go back to the beginning in the book of Genesis. These are the building blocks that we need to put in place, okay? And this, this tells us what we need to know about God's design for us, okay? And I'm operating on the assumption that God's design, since he's the designer, is the best design, okay? So Genesis 2, 15 to 25, I'll read the whole thing, and then we'll talk about some key points here. He says, the Lord God took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but, the, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. And the Lord God said, It is not good that, ma- that the man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. Whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all livestock and to all the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam, it was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man and the man said, then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold, amen, parents, say praise God, and hold fast to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. So we need to look at a couple of words here that are super important to understanding what he's saying, what the point of this is, okay? One is this word, Aitzer, which is, means translated as helper. The same, I'm not going to read all these verses, but the same word is used of God in several places. Okay? So this cannot mean, fundamentally, it cannot mean anything less than, because God is not less, when God helps us, he is not less than us. God is always greater than us. And quite often that word helper gets, it's implied, at least in English, that word helper can kind of have a, less than connotation and that is not at all what the hebrew means here okay that's number one there's a if the net bible which is by the way the best if you're going to get one bible study help get the net bible it has amazing translation notes in it and this is straight out of the net bible's translation note for that word it says traditionally helper that's how that word is translated The English word helper, because it can connote so many different ideas, does not accurately convey the connotation of the Hebrew word, Aitzer. Usage of the Hebrew term does not suggest a subordinate role, a connotation which English helper can have. In the Bible, God is frequently described as the helper, the one who does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You see that? When God does for us what we cannot do for ourselves, that's a helper. The one who meets our needs. In this context, the word seems to express the idea of an indispensable companion. Now, that's different than, I'm just your helper. 
Then we have paired with that is another word, konegdo, which is translated as fit for. This is also really interesting. Here's the note for that. The Hebrew expression konegdo literally means according to the opposite of him. Translations to such as suitable for, matching or corresponding to all capture that idea. Translations that render the phrase simply partner, while not totally inaccurate, do not reflect the nuance of correspondence and or suitability. Get this, the man's form and nature are matched by the woman's as she reflects him and compliments him. Together they correspond. In short, this prepositional phrase indicates that she has everything that God has invested in him. So we have, for me, the picture is two puzzle pieces. God made Adam, astonishingly, the only thing God made this way. He made Adam with a built-in lack. You are not enough. You are not, I'm going to say it, enough. You're not. You are built by design, on purpose, by God, men, to be incomplete in and of yourself. As an island, you're not enough by yourself. God made woman to be the other puzzle piece to what that fills what's missing in you and you fill what's missing in her. There are things you can do she cannot do and there's things she can do that you cannot do that only you can, fill, can fulfill together. And that's the picture of male and female. And by the way, this is not just confined to marriage. It's important. When he says... It is not good for man to be alone. He's not only talking about marriage. He's talking about humanity. God's design for humanity is that they are not to be alone. The picture of his image is not complete until men and women are both involved. Okay? Then he uses this phrase, one flesh, in verses 24 through 25. That phrase became one flesh is more than a sexual union, but it is not less than, okay? I mean, I don't want to paint too clear of a picture because it's mixed company, all right? But they are one flesh. Flesh is physical, okay? And they become one flesh, but it's, there's more happening there too. They're becoming a new family, a new entity together. <clears throat> so sex is for joy and sex is for unity. It draws husband and wife together, it seals our unity, and it, and it symbolizes it. This is why sex with someone you are not married to violates the marriage. You have violated the unity of your relationship by unifying yourself with someone else. You became one flesh with someone else that you do not have a covenant with. You're one flesh with this person, and now you've made yourself one flesh with another, and it's very hard, very painful, very destructive to unone something. If you're one with something and you try to tear them apart, there's a tearing why divorce is so awful. No matter how amicable and mutual it may be, it's always going to involve a destruction because you're unwanting something. And sex is a part of that unity and it's also a symbol of it. As soon as you move sex outside of marriage, you turn it into a destructive force that divides instead of unifying. The, the old metaphor is, you've probably heard it before, is the campfire. Right? Fire is good and it warms and it comforts. It saves your life. It's all good as long as it's inside 
of the campfire. You put a ring of stones around it or, or, a, or a ring of steel, something around it to contain the fire. If you take that same fire and you move it outside of the campfire, it destroys everything. It just burns it all up. And we don't say fire is bad, right? We say fire is good as long as it's contained in the right place. And that's the way sex is. It's God's design. It's for joy. It's for unity. But be careful. It will burn you. I think it's also really important here to notice, to point out the order of things here. It's not, this idea of it's not good that man should be alone is before sin enters the picture. This is not a result of sin. In other words, it's not a curse that you need each other. It's actually, it's a feature, not a bug. All right? It's supposed to be this way. And so don't shake your fist at God and say, it's not fair that I can't do everything by myself and not need anybody else. God says, I meant it this way, and this is how it will always be for eternity. It is by design. When you're, we're all in heaven, we're going to need each other. And we're going to need to be unified with each other forever. Perfection is not independence with God. <clears throat> so this is embedded in the idea of their physical union. It's not separated from it. So sex is not incidental, just like our body is not incidental. It matters. It's important. God has a design for it, and it's good. This is an important aspect of how the image of God is represented in mankind. So let me try to make it really clear for us. Men need women, and women need men. That is by God's design. But often we like to act like this isn't true. I won't ask for a show of hands, but we like to act like we don't need each other. We act like this isn't true about our own gender, but it is true about the opposite gender. You notice that? If it weren't for us ladies, those, these men would go off the rails. You're so right. But can I say this without offending you? Because this is what the Bible says. Ladies, you need us. I'm sorry. You do. And I want to be clear here. This doesn't mean that you can't be complete until you're married. That is... Paul would disagree. Jesus would disagree. It's a picture of how humanity, I think especially the church, is supposed to interact with one another. Women, we need your voice. We need your presence. We need your thoughts. We need your personalities. We need your strength. So man was created from the start with a need for a corresponding relationship with woman. This means that the differences between the sexes are as important as the similarities. Think back to that picture of two puzzle pieces. You have the, the, what's missing in the piece and what's added to the piece, the strengths and the weaknesses, and they go together, right? They're both vitally important. Both denying the similarities or denying the differences leads to disastrous results. You end up with two puzzle pieces that must fit together to see the complete picture, but they cannot fit together because you have eliminated the differences and eliminated the similarities. This is at the heart of what's happening in our culture right now. 
It's not just about transgender. It's about destroying and eliminating the differences between genders so that there is no difference. And what the net result of that is a destruction of God's beautiful design for how we're supposed to relate to each other. But then we can look after sin, so that's before sin, different but corresponding to one another. Then the scene after sin is also really important. Genesis 3 provides a list of the curses that come, came into creation as a result of sin. So after Adam and Eve ate the apple from the tree that God said, don't eat from, look, you can do all these wonderful things, just don't do this one thing. There's one restriction, one test of their obedience, and they failed it miserably. Sin enters into humanity and into creation, and there's a list of what the effects of that sin are going to be, and one of them has to do with male and female relationships. This is Genesis, Genesis 3.16, the second half. In the ESV it says, Your desire shall be contrary to your husband, but he shall rule over you. I think a slightly better translation would be, You will want to control your husband, but he will dominate you. So this is not like a desire for, like, positive like i just i'm for you <laughs> the curse of sin one of the curses of sin is to take this correspondence this unity this beautiful picture of men and women completing one picture in god's design and it turns them against each other in competition i want your place and i want to control you and this has this not been the story of men and women from the beginning it's a competitive, domineering, controlling, usurping, comp competitive relationship that goes in, is just destructive and destructive and destructive, butting heads since the beginning. It's a curse. This is not a command from God that you must be this way. This is God saying, this is part of what your sin does. Just like now your work, your happy, joyful work will become toil, It'll be harder to get things to grow. Childbirth will be harder. There's a whole list of things, and one of those is, guys and gals, you're going to, the unity that you've enjoyed prior to sin is now going to be more difficult. The perfect correspondence that God created between man and woman was turned into competition and independence by sin. Independence. From each other is not God's design. It is a result of sin. All the scripture in the New Testament about men and women and marriage is founded upon the idea that the gospel redeems everything that the fall broke, including the relationships between man and woman. All the instructions about marriage, men, women, modesty, and gender in the New Testament is aimed at restoring God's original and beautiful design for men and women, not being alone but unified whether you're married or single. So disconnecting gender from the body and from sexuality destroys all hope of this redemption of unity between men and women. It destroys it. It disintegrates us from each other and from ourselves. It reduces the act of sex to a personal desire that can be satisfied in any way the individual sees fit, so long as it doesn't hurt anybody, so long as there's consent. 
instead of an act of unification between husband and wife. It turns gender expressions into arbitrary choices that amplify the competition between male and female instead of embracing our unique correspondence to each other. So imagine God painting this beautiful, perfect picture. He says, I'm going to create these two beings and they're going to need each other. I'm going to carve out weaknesses in one and strengths in the other. And then I'm going to put them together. And when heaven looks at them and their design, they're going to glorify me because it's going to be so beautiful. That they can correspond and cooperate and love and care for each other and appreciate their differences. And then sin comes in and it says, no, 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 you don't need each other. You're enough by yourself. And any weakness in you, you need to deny as a weakness or cover it up. And you just need to be, and if any time some, you know, the, the, the other does some, has better at something than you, you should be jealous and enraged by it. And sex is not to bring you together, it's to satisfy yourself. It's to just chase whatever good vibes and good feelings you can have. And you make it about yourself. It turns gender expressions into arbitrary choices that actually amplify the competition instead of bringing us together. By the way, Jesus affirms Genesis and Matthew 19, I read that last week. Paul affirms it in multiple places, including the emphasis on men looking like men and women looking like women in the New Testament. So we can't separate gender from sexuality and from our biology, from our physicality. We can't separate them. So the question then, I think, is what if my desires diverge from this? Right? What I've painted for you is a picture of God's design. But then what do I do if I have gender dysphoria or my sexual desires don't go in this direction? How do I handle that? Because I can, you can agree with what I just said. You can say, yeah, I know that's what God says. But what I've heard so many times over the years is I can't change where my desires go and I know that God doesn't approve of it, therefore, I can't be a Christian. It's the therefore that we need to address. Because God answers this question, and he answers it, frankly, for all of us, because everybody in this room has a disordered desire that goes against God's will. Every single one of us has it. So I'm not an expert, so I don't want to start diagnosing from the pulpit, which would be a terrible mistake. However, I do know a couple of things. One is that your joy be begins with believing God about what he says is beautiful. Whether you find it beautiful or not. You say, what God says is beautiful, I will agree with, I will confess is beautiful. So if God says unity between genders is beautiful whether it offends me or not i will confess it is beautiful and i will work towards believing his definition of beauty over my own 
That's where joy begins, okay? And listen, all of us start there. There's some things I want that God doesn't say is good, that God doesn't say is beautiful, and I have to learn to say, okay, I mean, I like that thing, but you don't like it. You're offended by it. So I'm going with what you say. And God, would you help me, please, desperately help me to see the beauty in what you call beautiful. That's the first thing. But this also will mean that you are at the same time recognizing that the desire in your soul to be something other than God's design is a fundamentally disordered desire. It's not a good one. And this is where the battle is in our culture. I think it's also important here to say that this does not mean that you have to embrace shallow gender stereotypes. This is a big, big, big problem. Because what's happening right now is young children who have been taught that boys like certain things and dress a certain way. They like going outside, playing in the dirt, looking at bugs, running around, being rough and tough and tumble. And Girls are supposed to wear cute little dresses and not like being dirty and like being inside and want to talk about their feelings all the time. Like, that's the, there's a whole, we, we could all go for an hour on all the stereotypes for both of those things. So you have a child who grows up with that impression of masculinity and femininity, which is not biblical. And then they find at some point that they don't fit the stereotype. So you have a girl who wants to play outside and likes bugs and likes being dirty and sweaty and smelly and doesn't seem to care about her feelings. And instead of someone saying to her, that's okay, God made you beautiful. He made you this way. You are unique and wonderfully made as you are. So go for it. Run outside and play. Have a good time. That's, that's okay for girls to do. Instead, our culture is now telling that girl that you must not be a girl, you must be a boy. And so this whole thing trades on these gender stereotypes. So when I say, believe what God says is beautiful is beautiful, I do not mean a stereotypical version of masculinity and femininity. It is damaging and hurtful, and if you are pushing those things on other people or filtering men and women through that kind of a filter, you need to stop. You're part of the problem. You feel very conservative but you're actually part of the motivation for the breakdown that we see in our culture. I do not like being outside. I do it because it's a necessary part of being a human being. I do not like having my hands dirty. It's... I get... Real anxiety when my hands are greasy. And I, for some reason, also have a, a small knack for working on fix, and fixing mechanical things. It's a curse to have those two things coexisting in one person. So I'm constantly having to work on the car and just cursing the car at the same time because it's made my hands dirty. I don't like it. Like this little space right here, 
between your fingers, if I get like a little just dust particle, I just, I gotta just get it out of there. It irritates me. That's all right. That has zero to do with masculinity. Nothing. We could go all day long, and I think probably most of us, if we were to talk and talk about, especially your childhood, most of you struggled. Either because you fit the stereotype of femininity and hated it, and it created a pressure on you that became a problem for you in life, or you didn't fit it, and that was a problem. And so you're constantly feeling like you've got to fit into something. And let me tell you, that's that's a real, we got to break that in church. I don't care how long your hair is. I don't care if you like dresses. God doesn't care either. Um, so I want to make sure we're clear about what we mean. I'm talking about the puzzle pieces fitting together being a beautiful picture. And if you will agree with God over that, whether your heart agrees with it or not, whether your desires agree with it or not, let God work that out, but we begin with agreement with him over those things. Embrace God and his definition of beauty wherever, wherever you find it, not a stereotypical shallow version of masculinity or femininity. But it still doesn't, I don't think, quite answer the question. So I think Mark 8, Jesus says something essential to this discussion. Mark 8, 34 to 38, he says, and calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. This, I think, is what the church needs to get right. Is that we deny ourselves. It's, an found, it's a foundational part of what it means to follow Jesus. And not one of us is exempt from that. Everybody in this room is carrying a cross. There is something you are suffering, either outside of yourself or inside of yourself. There is a burden you are carrying that you have asked God, take this cross off my back. I don't want to carry this anymore. And he has not taken it from you. It is a part of the burden you carry through your life. And it is part of what it means to follow Jesus. No one follows Jesus without carrying a cross. If you're not carrying a cross, you're not following Jesus. It's absolutely essential. It's a part of what it means to be a Christian, a Christ person. A Christ-like person is to carry your cross. It's part of who he is. And if you say, no thanks, I'll just, I want to carry it privately. Nobody carried a cross privately. It's public. You walked right down the street. That's what Jesus did in front of a crowd. It wasn't just the pain, it was the humiliation. And he says, if you're not willing to carry your cross, 
down the street and not be ashamed of me and say, I'm following Jesus wherever he goes. And that includes to, the, to his death, to his self-denial. All Christians are wrestling with some disordered desire or circumstance or pain, physical pain, emotional pain, something. And there is no promise in Scripture that all of your sinful impulses will go away in this life. I wish they would. But one thing is for sure, one day you will be whole again, and there will be no need for self-denial because what you desire will be what God desires in perfect synchronicity. Imagine that. Imagine and being in heaven with God and what you want is what he wants. And when you see something that's beautiful, it's because he sees something that's beautiful. And there is a synchronization between your desires and his, your thoughts and his, your heart and his. That's heaven. That's what we're all walking towards. Jesus said another thing that I'll close. Because until then, right, we all bear our crosses together. But we do so, quote, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is what we do for the joy set before you. This is how I can tell you if your desires go in a, if, if your desire said what God says is not beautiful and I want to determine what is beautiful that if you will take up your cross and follow Jesus there is a joy that is in front of you that you are walking towards that is far greater than whatever you suffer now. And I can promise you, I can promise you with absolute confidence that the day will come when you stand in front of him and that your joy is made complete and you look back on your life all the times when you had to stand up one more time underneath that cross and bear it a few more feet down the road. That you will look at that and say, it was absolutely, without question, worth it. Because in that moment, I knew more about Jesus' character and nature than I did when things were easy. Because Jesus is a suffering servant to us. If you want to know what he's like, you're going to have to suffer. And it's true for everybody in this room. Gay, straight, whatever it is. It's true for every single one of us. And so the call is not, the good news of the gospel is not that you, you just believe in me and I'll take your cross for you and I'll carry it for you. He says, no, believe in me, and I'll take my cross, and I'll put it on your back, and we'll walk together. That's the gospel. I would like to do something together. Um, as I mentioned last week, I think for some reason we, we like to act like none of us are carrying a cross. We like to walk around like we're unburdened. And life is easy breezy, <laughs> and it's not true. I can assume accurately about every single pair of eyes in this room that there's something weighing on you right now. And probably that something, boy, my voice just cracked like a 12-year-old. <laughs> what in the world? Ugh. Ugh. Boy, that wasn't masculine at all. 
I am your illustration this morning. Uh, so anyway, um, oh, I'm glad that happened at the end and not at the beginning. I, I would like us to pray together. And if you are carrying a, a burden that you would not like to carry alone, it doesn't have to be related at all to gender, sexuality, anything else. It could be illness, it could be mental illness, it could be tragedy in your life, it could be fear, it could, you know, there's desires for sin, um, lust, all sorts of things that we carry. I, I want to pray for you, not because I don't carry a cross, but because I think we're not meant to carry these things alone. And I think it sends a message when we together kind of confess that life is hard. I am denying myself daily, and it's hard. And I would like to not be doing this by myself. It creates an environment where people who are, are ashamed of their cross can say, hey, like, I'm struggling too. And I want to foster that. So I, I want to ask anybody who wants prayer for, for that just to come up. This is how I want to end. Maybe the worship team could come and noodle some tunes in the background. I'm not going to ask you to confess anything or do anything dramatic, but just to come up. And I want to, I mean, I'm standing here with you. So come on, anybody. Anyone who's less than perfect. Maybe I should cast a water net. So the picture I have in my mind is the moment where Jesus was carrying his cross and he couldn't carry it anymore. Jesus, creator of the universe, the divine Christ, was not strong enough in that moment to carry the weight on his back and he fell. Someone had to help him up off the ground. And I want you guys to just imagine the bur whatever the burden is that you carry. Imagine it on your back and you crumbling to the ground because you confess you are not enough. Ain't no way any of you are enough to carry the thing on your back by yourself. So you crumple to the ground and it is Jesus who extends his hand to you and says, come on, we'll carry it together. So why don't we just close our eyes for a minute and just use your sanctified imagination for something other than things you wish you didn't use it for. And imagine yourself weak on the ground, being smothered by your burden and him, the strongest one, the king of the universe, the one who carried his cross, reaching his hand down to pick you up. Holy Spirit, I ask you right now, you, the Spirit of Christ, you would fill each one of us with strength and courage 
that it would be as though Jesus himself in the flesh is lifting us off the floor. God, we want to carry our crosses with honesty and humility and nobility. So God, I pray that you would fill us with the nobility of Christ right now. Because in him we are strong and in him we are courageous and in him we have all that we need to bear up under the weight that we carry. And God, we ask you once again because we know one day the answer will be yes. God, we ask you right now to lift the burden off of us. God, I pray for healing and restoration in our disordered desires right now. God, where, our, where the flame has leap, leapt over the boundaries. God, that you would bring it back in. God, shore up the weak areas in our souls. God, would you ease our burden, we ask you. And God, we patiently wait for the day when that will be fully lifted off of our shoulders and our humanity will be fully just restored. And the day when men and women look at each other with open arms, with no competition in their heart, God, would you heal male and female relationships here? Even old, divorced marriages, even if they don't get remarried, God, that's not what I'm asking for. I'm asking for healing and restoration between them. God, do impossible things among your people. We ask this in the lovely and beautiful name of Jesus. Amen.